Week one of the college football season is finally upon us. Vanderbilt is already 1-0. After week zero, Texas A&M has declared its starting quarterback. Alabama still has now not announced a starter, but there are some breadcrumbs I think we can interpret, and of course we will. Welcome in to SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside John Adams. Today on the episode, we're going to get into a little fact or fiction, engaging with a handful of scenarios regarding SEC teams. We'll also have some week one picks. But first, John, I was curious, as you look over this collection of week one games, I think the obvious one that jumps out is LSU Florida State. We'll discuss that one a little bit during our pick segment of the pod today. But aside from that game, I was wondering what SEC game you are most interested in this weekend or on Thursday night even. That's easy. It's North Carolina, South Carolina. I'm really looking forward to the Spencer Rattler versus uh, Drake May quarterback duel. I'll be uh, leaning toward uh, Spencer Rattler, of course, in that. I was sitting at a bar restaurant Saturday and conversation was about college football and somebody just volunteered. You know, I really don't like Spencer Rattler. People just don't seem to like him. Why do you think that is? I think it's a combination of the Netflix show, which did not portray him in the best light. Uh, You kind of feel for Spencer Rattler because of that. I mean, that dates back to his high school days, right? I mean, I think there's a lot of people who maybe wouldn't have been portrayed in the best light uh, when they were teenagers in in high school. And, And the other thing is he just has... For whatever reason, it's it's attached to him that he was sort of a uh, a bad sport when he lost his starting job at Oklahoma to Caleb Williams. I, that always confuses me a little bit about why media types and fans get worked up so much about that. I mean, are you supposed to be celebrating when you lose your starting <laughs> job? Right, like most most of the uh, uh, most competitors I know would be disappointed and a little frustrating when they lose the the starting job. And I think that story was overblown anyway. I mean, of course he wasn't thrilled to lose the starting job, but um, you know, I don't know that he was plotting against Caleb Williams, but I, I just think those two things have continually worked against his image over the years, regardless of what he's done to uh, maybe try to change that. I think he's a team captain in South Carolina. So he's pretty well liked there. Uh, yeah. I just thought, I mean, what's he supposed to do? Caleb Williams get, gets the job, and he goes, so awesome for Caleb to get a chance. I mean, you know, he's, he was a QB1 there for a while. So, But anyway, that's I think that will be a very entertaining game. A lot of scoring, and I also like the Utah-Florida game. Yeah, that that's one that's on my radar, John. I, I agree with you on South Carolina, North Carolina, but Florida-Utah I think is going to be really telling – for just how bad it could get for Florida this season? Or conversely, have we maybe been a little too hard on the Gators throughout the offseason? I know both you and I have consistently said we're not expecting big things from Florida this year. In fact, I think we would find it more likely that Florida miss a bowl game than finish, say, like eight and four. I know I would. Yeah, I, I think too. it's more yeah. likely they yeah, they more likely they they miss a bowl than than go eight and four better. But that narrative could get reversed depending on 
how Thursday night at Utah goes. Utah's seven-point favorite. Now, I know Florida beat Utah at home last year, and everybody was all excited for the Billy Napier and Napier era, and then the wheels fell off from there. However, with this being a home game, Utah's got a lot of production returning, more so than Florida. Florida's got a new starting quarterback. I mean, it really would come as something of a pretty big surprise if Florida won this game, and yet Gators are only a one-touchdown underdog, so... That that would be the other one I would put up there with with South Carolina, North Carolina. I think being on on my radar here. Well, Florida could get a really good break there. Uh, Cam Rising is listed as a starting quarterback for Utah. He tore his ACL in the bowl game. Uh, it's a pretty quick comeback. He's even though he's listed as a starter, I just wonder if he really will be the starter and how effective he could be. And then the second. The backup quarterback was injured in preseason. So Florida could be playing against a third-string quarterback, which would certainly enhance Florida's chances in that game. All right, let's get into some fact or fiction scenarios, John, and we'll revisit some of these games later in in the episode as we do our, our picks against the spread. But let's start fact or fiction at Alabama. Because Nick Saban on Monday said he's done with depth charts, at least week one depth charts. He put out no depth chart this week and uh, gave a long answer as to why that was. I think the bottom line is he didn't feel any need to announce his starting quarterback any sooner than he has to. However, I think most of the tea leaves have been pointing to Jalen Milrow for weeks now, and although... Nick Saban did not name a starter. He did say on Monday that Jalen Milrow's been improving. He's been getting more consistent. He really didn't say anything to dissuade the idea that Jalen Milrow is going to be the starter. Now, maybe Saban's got something up his sleeve. Maybe he's he's got everybody thinking what he wants them to think, and he's going to trot someone else out there against Middle, T, Middle Tennessee. I don't think so. I think it's going to be Milrow. So fact or fiction not only does Jalen Milrow start the opener for Alabama, but he will start every game throughout the month of September. Fact or fiction? Fact. Um, I, I think we've both kind of, in our podcast, we've kind of leaned in that direction ever since it was a open discussion as to who would be the next quarterback at Alabama. There's there's uncertainty about all these all three candidates. But the one thing Jalen Milrow offers is a great running threat at quarterback. And if Alabama, in fact, is going to lean more heavily on the run game, it's good to have a quarterback that can run the way he can, that can even run between the tackles. Big, strong guy with speed, too. So uh, those other guys, they're kind of – I don't know about Ty Simpson, but the Notre Dame transfer is okay, but – I don't know. There's nothing uh, stunning about any one thing they do well. So I, I would, I think it'll be Milrow. Yeah, I agree. I, I would say fact. He starts every game throughout September and maybe beyond. I keep coming back to a couple things with this competition. One, exiting the spring, Jalen Milrow was ahead of Ty Simpson. So he was the leader in the clubhouse. I don't see why that would have changed based on anything we've heard the past several weeks. They brought in Tyler Buckner from Notre Dame. However, 
I keep returning to the fact that Tyler Buckner was going to be Notre Dame's backup, not its starter. Notre Dame brought in Sam Hartman to be its starter, and we saw why in Notre Dame's week zero trouncing of of Navy. So I just don't believe that a, a, a Notre Dame backup. Now, Buckner did start some games for the Irish, to be sure, but he was going to be the backup this year. I don't think a Notre Dame backup is going to be Alabama's starter, and I don't think Jalen Milrow has done anything in the head-to-head with Ty Simpson to lose the job. I think it's going to be Milrow, and I think he also gives Alabama the highest ceiling potential among its quarterbacks. Let's move over to Georgia. John, the uh, the preseason number one, trying to be college football's first team to three-peat since the 1930s when Minnesota did it. You were just starting out as a beat writer at that time, correct? Yeah, I was. Uh, I did not. However, I did not. There's a misconception out there that I actually covered that team. I didn't do it. I was aware wow. of it, certainly as a, as a, you know, as a sports writer, but I did not cover any of the yeah, Minnesota You, you trended games. more toward warmer locales. Yeah, I was covering yeah. the SEC back then. Swanee, I think. was. It? Yeah, right. You were on the yeah. Swanee beat. Sure. Yeah, sure. So as, as Georgia looks to to pull this off for the first time in like 90 years, a three-peat, uh, we're going to leave the national championship talk for a pod down the road. We're just looking through the regular season lens with this fact or fiction scenario. So going into the SEC championship, the 12-game regular season, fact or fiction, Georgia will not only be undefeated going into the SEC championship, but it will have beaten every opponent by double digits. I'll go fiction on that one. I think that's too much to ask in an SEC schedule. And I know you can look at, if you look at those games independently and you said, okay, well, you, you think Georgia will go in double figures against this team, that team? I'd say yes. But I just think there's going to be one game where Georgia's off its game and uh, it has – Maybe not a real close call, but at least has to win it in the fourth quarter, maybe early in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I would agree with that thinking. If you if you run down the list, you're right. I don't know if there's any game where I would say with confidence, okay, this is the one Georgia would only win by single digits or maybe even lose. I mean, I, I guess the road game against Tennessee is the is the trickiest scenario, but I more tend to think it could be something we don't expect. Like last year, their tightest regular season win was on the road at at Missouri. They won by just four points in that game. So if I'm getting the field, the field of games, I'll say there will be at least one game. I don't know which one it'll be, but there will be at least one game where they win in a a one-possession game. However, I do think they... They go into Atlanta undefeated, but I'm with you. I say fiction. One of at least one of those games will be closer than double digits. Let's flip back over to the SEC West in the team you and I are picking to win the West. LSU got that big game on Sunday night in Orlando against Florida State. Game of the week in week one, not just in the SEC, but in college football in general. Top 10 matchup. Jaden Daniels, you've ranked him, John as your number one SEC quarterback going into the season. So, fact or fiction, Jaden Daniels will become a Heisman finalist. not saying he has to win it, but he's got to be among the guys invited to the ceremony. I'll go fact on that one. 
I, I never thought Jaden Daniels was would be as good as he was last season at LSU, and that's from having watched him uh, at Arizona State. I didn't think he could throw the ball that effectively, but he's gotten better, and I expect him to be even better this year. Got a lot of complimentary talent, uh, four deep at running back, uh, one of the strongest wide receiver contingents uh, in college football, uh, veteran offensive line. I, I just think it's all set up for him to have a really big year. And a lot of competition in getting to New York, but I think he can do it. I'm going to go fiction on this one. And I, I worry about that pick just because I, I, we have picked LSU to win the West. I think if they do win the West, get to Atlanta, that improves their quarterback's chances of being a Heisman finalist. But I, I don't know that there's going to be one quarterback in the SEC this year that will be head and shoulders above the rest. I think there could be some vote splitting uh, for on Heisman ballots throughout the SEC. I think a few of the best quarterbacks, such as Caleb Williams, maybe Drake May, will actually be outside the conference. I think I would say if you give me the field that the SEC will produce at least one Heisman finalist, sure, I would say that there will be at least one Heisman finalist from this conference. But to say it'll be Jaden Daniels, I'm not, I'm not all the way there on that one. So it's with not much conviction, I will say, fiction on that one. Do you think, Blake, uh, this is really thinking outside the box, could Brock Bowers, Georgia's tight end, make it to New York? Uh, that would be a surprise to me. I, those those types of storylines, I think, are great in August, you know, and maybe even throughout September, you'll see a guy like a tight end or a defensive tackle or some position that doesn't normally win the Heisman Trophy. You'll see him high up on the list, and they may surge in the betting odds for a couple weeks. When it comes down to it, it's a quarterback award. Uh, I know Devonta Smith. One from Alabama a couple years ago, the wide receiver. You go back years further, you had some running backs win the award. But really, it's an offensive skill position award. And yes, Brock Bowers is versatile. He's a tight end that almost is is like a wide receiver in some ways. But to win this award as a wide receiver, I think you really have to put up some truly eye-popping numbers like Devonta Smith did in 2020. He, I mean, Devonta Smith had 23 touchdowns, receptions, caught almost 2,000 receiving yards the year he won the Heisman. I just, as good as Brock Bowers is, and he's he's fantastic, I don't see him going for 1,800 receiving yards, you know? Um, I don't see him catching 20-some touchdown passes. He might go for 1,000 yards. He might catch 10 touchdowns. I don't think that's enough, you know, to get a tight end the Heisman. I, I I would not say he would lead the SEC in receiving yards. Doesn't mean he's not a first-team All-American. Uh, I just think there are other good options at Georgia. At the end of the day, he's a tight end who also lines up in the slot sometimes. Yeah, I, th- I think the Heisman talk is is a August narrative that will not materialize in December. Well, I just go back to the 1997 Heisman when Charles Woodson won it. Didn't have great stats. Had a great game against Ohio State. He was versatile. Possible scenario. And I don't think, I mean, I think Caleb Williams will be a repeat winner unless he gets hurt. 
But I think Brock Bowers, because people look at him as such an unusual talent. I think if you ask somebody who's the best football player in the country, or at least ask SEC fans that, a lot of them would say Brock Bowers, you know, Brock Bowers, because they feel like he could be an all SEC linebacker if he chose to play that position. He's so versatile. In a possible scenario, Georgia's had some injury issues at running back. What if he becomes their uh, goal line running back? I don't think that's out of the question. I just think it's, I think there's a chance where he could make it to New York. I don't think he could win it, but I think he could make it to New York. He'll really need help from ESPN to fuel that narrative. I mean, <laughs> seriously, you know, I mean, you know better sure. than most, John, uh, because you've heard the complaints from Tennessee fans over the years that ESPN fueled that award for Charles. Woodson, they, they really just became enamored with him. And a lot of Vols fans believe to this day that's why he won and not Peyton Manning. I, I, maybe ESPN will get behind the Brock Bowers idea enough that it can sway some votes. Otherwise, I just think we can't give voters too much credit on this. Like so many times, so many people <laughs> vote for this award. It's not like this group yeah. of 30 esteemed of the, you know, the, the best college football minds. I mean, ever everybody and their brother gets a vote for Heisman. Mm-hmm. And when it all shakes out, I think that results in a lot of votes for quarterbacks. So You're right on that. I agree. Uh, okay, let's get into the coaching hot seat. Always a good topic for debate, right? I'm going to have, this will be a two-parter, but we'll, we'll take them one at a time. We come into this season where I wouldn't say there's any SEC coach that's just sitting on a scalding hot seat. There are some guys that are hot seat adjacent, and if the season goes down the tubes, you can see things getting pretty warm for them. But unlike last year, I mean, Brian Harson came into last season already on the hot seat. He was his tenure was was uh, was encircled by flames before the season ever kicked off. There's there's nobody quite in that scenario from the SEC this year. Harson was fired on Halloween. You go back before that, LSU made its decision on Ed Ogeron in October in 2021. So SEC schools, they'll make moves in October. September firings are rare in the SEC. You have to go back to Les Miles in 2016 to find the last September firing in this conference. But November 1st, is the date I'm setting. November 1, fact or fiction, an SEC coach will be fired this season, at least one, by November 1st. I would go fiction on that. I think the seat has to be a little hotter in August to fire somebody November 1. I think, I, I think I'm with you there for the same reasoning. If, if someone came into the season on that Brian Harson-type level of temperature – then I, I think we would see one first couple months of the year. Where there's, you know, there's a few guys, Jimbo Fisher, obviously feeling some heat. He's protected by that massive buyout. Um, how bad will things get for Billy Napier in year two? He's also, though, protected by pretty sizable buyout. And Eli Drinkwitz, how fast will he go from uh, contract extension to hot seat if Missouri season gets off to a bad start? But I think all those guys... I agree with you. They're fine through November. So part two, we'll see if you bite on this. Fact or fiction. There will be at least one SEC coach fired this year. Can we get through a year with no firings? 
What do you think? It has happened before. I guess I, I guess I will go fact on that. I, the buyout for Jimbo is so large, and I think A&M will be better this year so he'll make progress. And I don't believe Florida would fire Billy Napier after two seasons. But you, I've, I've confused you with the wording, I think. I sort of changed it at the end. Uh, you don't think anyone will be fired, so it's fiction that someone will oh, be fired this year, right? Yeah, I, yeah, I twisted yeah, it around sorry. on you, but the, the bottom yeah, line is yeah. you don't think anybody will be fired yeah. this year, right? No, but I, I, I missed the question. I failed the test. <laughs> well, I kind of phrased it two different ways. We'll fault the questioner, maybe. Uh, okay, so you're right. There has been There have been times when there's been no firings in the SEC. I, this, again, falls into one where I don't know exactly who it's going to be, but I feel comfortable taking the field. Somebody is getting fired this year. Is it Jimbo? Is it Drinkwitz? Is it Napier? I don't know. If you asked me this time last year if Brian Harson was getting fired, I would have said quite confidently Brian Harson is getting fired. I don't say that with confidence about any of those guys that are hot seat adjacent. However, if you tell me only one of them has to get fired in this conference, I think you're always safer saying, yeah, at least one guy is going to get fired. So I'll say fact, at least one person is fired before the end of the year. Don't know who it's going to be, though. Well, Blake, do you have a favorite in that race, in the firing race? If you had to pick one. Yeah, I wish I did because you're kind of saying, well, why are you picking it if you don't, if you don't have an idea in mind? <laughs> Um, I guess I'm just I'm backing the law of averages there that someone will be fired because, no, I don't have a favorite. Um, I'm not one that thinks Jimbo is untouchable just because of his buyout, which will still be like $77 million in December. That makes it unappealing to fire him. I don't think it makes him untouchable necessarily. I just, like you, I think Texas A&M is going to have a bounce-back season, so I don't think there's going to be the desire to fire Jimbo and eat a 70-some million dollar buyout. With Florida, Billy Napier's buyout, I believe, will be in the 30 millions range come seasons in. That's That would still be a historic buyout for college football. And I think the thing that helps Billy Napier as he navigates what could be a rocky year too is he's got a lot of recruiting momentum right now. So as long as that holds... I think he can sell the future against what Florida's record will be this year, and that might buy him, should buy him, I think, another season. So that leaves Drinkwitz. Drinkwitz has that duty to mitigate clause in his contract. So even though the buyout would be like $20 million for him at the end of the season, this is still you know, a young guy in the prime of his career. We've seen some older coaches when they get fired and they have a duty to mitigate they're content to just sit around at home a few years and uh, watch games in their basement and collect every cent of that buyout before they get back into coaching. With Drinkwitz, and we're talking about a guy who's 40, I don't think he wants to sit around for four or five years and, and squeeze all that buyout money of, from Missouri before he gets back into it. So I think Missouri could fire him with the confidence that, yeah, within a year, this guy's going to get another job. He's going to help defray these damages it's not going to add up to $20 million. So my, But my hesitancy with Drinkwitz is, I think Missouri's going to be 
a little bit better this year. And I know you've roundly mocked me in, in a previous episode when I when I mentioned that Missouri is is going to show some improvement. They're finally going to have a winning season under Drinkwitz. I don't think it takes like a nine and three season to stick with him. I think it takes a winning season, and I think Missouri can do that. So that's a long way of saying I don't I don't know who it's going to be. I don't I don't have a favorite in that conversation. I'll throw out another name. What about Zach Garnett? He's a first year coach, mm-hmm. but he's never been a coach. And what if Mississippi State had a horrible season? And he's not protected by a big buyout. We've we've talked about that before. You know, he just got a four year contract, making the lowest salary in the SEC. Wouldn't take as much to get rid of him as it would some of these others. I think he gets two seasons, though. I know it's the SEC and kind of those rules of how oh, you get at least two seasons. Everything goes out the window, right? But even in this conference, as long as there's no shenanigans involved, guys still get two years, right? Or at least into their second season. You not, might not make it all the way through your second year, but you get you get two shots at this thing. So I think he's going to get at least two shots at it. Well, when you say you're predicting that one guy will be fired, then the shenanigans element that does happen in the Southeastern conference. So you that, bet. that gives you a shot there. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I think I like taking the field. You never know when someone's going to yeah. start making phone calls to an escort services or, uh, you know, deploy their babysitter as part of a sloppy cheating scandal. So you know, there, there's always that wild card firing. You can slip in there too. Uh, speaking of Zach Arnett, John, that's a good segue because it brings us, to our next fact or fiction. Two year one coaches in the SEC this year. Of course, Hugh Freeze has done it before, but he's in his first season at Auburn. Zach Arnett, first time coach at any level at Mississippi State. Fact or fiction, I have this one worded as Zach Arnett will win more games in his first season at Mississippi as Mississippi State's coach than Hugh Freeze will win in year one at Auburn. I'll go fiction. Uh, if you'd asked me that a month ago, I would have, I would have said fact, but I, the more I look at Auburn and more, I remember Hugh Freeze's track record. I think it could be the surprise team and I wouldn't rule out an upset in the iron bowl. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hmm. Well, look what happened two years ago. Auburn almost beat Alabama college playoff bound Bryce Young at quarterback, Brian Harson calling the shots for Auburn. And it, it took the Auburn Alabama into overtime. Uh, Hugh freeze has done really well against Nick Saban. And, uh, I think he's really helped that. When I started analyzing more of the, the transfers he brought in, that's when I thought, eh, Auburn's going to be better than I initially thought. This one does feel like a little bit of a coin flip to me. One of the deciding games, maybe the deciding game, is the head-to-head, which Auburn hosts. They host Mississippi State in late October. It is. I also, though, look a little more deeply at the conference schedule, and Auburn has what I feel like is probably an automatic loss. They play... Georgia and their annual crossover. However, they benefit from their other crossover. They get Vanderbilt. So Vanderbilt's not on Mississippi State's schedule. However, 
both games against the East for Mississippi State, I would say, are winnable, whereas I file that Georgia game for Auburn into the unwinnable category. Mississippi State's crossovers are at home against Kentucky and then on the road at South Carolina. So the fact that they might be able to steal two from the East, and I only see Auburn's ceiling from the East being one, I give the slight edge here to Mississippi State. And I also like the more proven quarterback scenario. I know they're changing offenses, but you got a fourth-year starting quarterback in Will Rogers. Peyton Thorne, the Auburn transfer, I think he's going to help their passing game, former Michigan State starter, but I feel like Will Rogers is a little bit more of a proven commodity, even despite the system change at Mississippi State. All right, let's get into a college football playoff question, John. We've seen a couple times the SEC has produced two playoff qualifiers. They did it in 2017 with Alabama and Georgia. They did it in 2021 with Alabama and Georgia. Last year, the Big Ten got two spots. So we know a conference can produce multiple qualifiers. Fact or fiction, the SEC gets at least two teams in the playoff this year. Fact, I feel pretty good about that. Uh, I think they're uh, Alabama, Georgia, LSU. Uh, even Tennessee has an outside shot there. Uh, Tennessee plays Alabama and Georgia. If it could beat Alabama, and it beat Alabama last year, albeit at Neyland Stadium, if it beat Alabama and lost to Georgia, doesn't play in the conference title game, uh, it might could get in there. So, yeah, I, I think – and I really like LSU. I think Georgia and I have LSU. I have Georgia and LSU one, two nationally. That's how good I think LSU will be. I'm going fiction on this one. Part of it is because if Georgia wins the, or excuse me, if LSU wins the West, as we project, they would likely have to see Georgia in Atlanta. I think that could be the game that knocks LSU out of the playoff. I think they could go into Atlanta at 11 and one. You know, they lose somewhere but they still win the division. Maybe they lose against Florida State. Maybe they win the head-to-head against Alabama, but trip up to Texas A&M, a team that beat them last year. Somewhere along the line, I think they they lose at least one game during the regular season. I think they lose uh, to Georgia in Atlanta. I think that keeps them out of the playoffs. So I think Georgia will be the only representative uh, for the SEC. I actually... I might lean toward the Big Ten to get two qualifiers again, to get either Ohio State or Michigan, whoever wins the conference, and then maybe the loser of that game goes 11-1 and one and, and claims a second spot for the Big Ten. Yeah, I really think it could be an all-Big Ten SEC Final Four. <laughs> yeah, what a way to close out the four-team playoff, right? Uh, <laughs> if you're ever on the fence about the 12-teamer, if yeah. you're a fan of any other conference and it's, it's two conferences claiming all the bids, you won't be on the fence anymore. Uh, let's, let's continue on with this conversation, John, because I think Alabama plays into it. Fact or fiction, Alabama loses at least two games before the bowl, the bowl, the bowl's thrown out in this conversation. Um, they've got at least two losses going into the postseason. Fact or fiction? Now, are you counting the SEC championship game? Sure, let's count it. Okay, uh, I'll go fact on that one. Would your answer change if I was throwing that out? 
It'd be tougher, but because I don't but think I it'll be that. in the championship game. But I still think going through the West is challenging, and I think A&M will be better. Um, it's just a tough division. And, and I just have a so many times when I look at SEC games or I'm ranking teams in the SEC and I think, okay, who's going to be one, two, three? I look at, okay, who can throw the ball well enough? Because in the SEC, I can see defenses stopping the run. So who's going to have a playmaker at quarterback, i.e. a Bryce Young? Uh, I'm not sure Alabama will have that. So that would be my uh, – I had an Alabama fan tell me he thought they were go, would go 9-3 and three this year. So it, yeah, it does feel like there's a sentiment out there that nine and three is more likely than twelve and zero. Yes, uh, I'm. I probably fall somewhere in between. I think I'm with you at ten and two. I don't think they they get to Atlanta. I think they go ten and two, maybe win the bowl game, finish eleven and two. Um, I, I look at this the schedule, and there's five games. I don't know if you'd call them two true toss up games. But there's five games where it wouldn't be just completely stunning if Alabama lost them. Uh, in no particular order, LSU, Tennessee, Texas, Texas A&M, and Ole Miss. Those are all teams they either lost to last year or they nearly lost to. People to you know, people think about that, that Texas A&M and Texas games as, well, it could have gone the other way. People think also the LSU-Tennessee games could have gone the other way. They very easily could have lost to Ole Miss as well. That's that's another game that they were fortunate to escape last year. So that's five games to me. I think it's conceivable they could lose. I say they lose two of the f- two of the five, and they're ten and two going into a bowl game. Do you think Alabama uh, that this affects Alabama negatively? Maybe that the rest of the conference sees it is more vulnerable. And that perhaps gives it a little more confidence going into a game because what you just said, Alabama lost a close game to Tennessee last year and it barely won against A&M. So that maybe teams perceive Alabama. There's no Alabama mystique going into this season. All the mystiques with Georgia. I guess I would phrase it a little bit differently. I think we're maybe sharing a somewhat similar thought. I think where I think it helps Alabama is they can legitimately play the disrespect card this year. We know there are a few things that motivate a college athlete or an athlete at any level than thinking someone out there is disrespecting them. It could be some Joe Blow on Twitter who doesn't even use his real name on his account. Uh, If they find somebody out there disrespecting them, That'll be fuel to the fire. They'll they'll earmark that and, and let it fuel them for months. And most seasons, Alabama really can't play that card. I mean, almost every year they're preseason one or preseason number two. They're picked to win the SEC the whole bit. Um, but this year, they're not. They're, uh, they're, they're preseason number three in one poll. They're preseason number four in another poll. They're kind of head-to-head with LSU in that conversation in the West. Georgia's picked to win the conference. They can play the disrespect card, and I think that is an extra motivator for this team, one that it doesn't normally get to play. Well, that's that's a really good point. That's probably the greatest mo- motivator in college sports, and it's amazing. You could The number one ranked team in the country 
go into postseason and some of the players will be telling you, well, we get no respect. <laughs> we were only a 37-point favorite over Vanderbilt. People just yes. don't think we're very good. Yeah, that's a page out of the Kirby Smart and Georgia uh, playbook. Right. All right, we got a couple more to get get through here, and then we're going to get uh, to a collection of week one picks. I got two about Ole Miss, John, so let's just take tackle them together. So I'll read them both, and you can respond. Fact or fiction, Lane Kiffin will be a hot name in the coaching carousel yet again. And my qualifier for this, John, is not just some random blogger throws out Kiffin's name for a job. Like last year, he truly was associated with the Auburn job. That wasn't just, you know, random blog said so. He was. So legitimately, Kiffin will be a hot name in the coaching carousel this year, fact or fiction. And number two, Quinshawn Judkins will rush for at least 1,800 yards this season. I thought about going 2,000, but 2,000 just felt like a little lofty to have a legitimate debate over it. There's only been one 2,000-yard rusher, I believe, in SEC history, Derrick Henry. Uh, so let's let's make it more realistic, 1,800-plus for Quinshawn Judkins. So those, those are your two Ole Miss factor fictions. I will go fiction on both of those. Uh, with Lane Kiffin, I mean, he's it always seems like he's a hot commodity, but I'm starting to wonder now if maybe uh, he's not as hot as he used to be. And uh, maybe if Ole Miss wins 10 games, that will change. But where would he go? I'm trying to look at where he would go after this season. And I, I think there's still people that wonder, I think administrators wonder, about Lane Kiffin. Can we count on him long-term to be our guy? And I think a lot of administrators don't feel they can. He's a great offensive coach, and he's done great in the transfer portal. I just don't think he'll be a hot item after the season. What, what do you think on that one? I'm like you. I'm going fiction with both. I'm, I think I'm actually more tempted by the Judkins one. I, he could get close to 1,800. I think he's in the ballpark this year, as long as he stays healthy, uh, because he is going to be the, the cog of that offense once again. So I think he gets close, but comes up just a little bit short of 1,800. With Kiffin, I think he will be a hot name at some point again in a coaching carousel. I don't know if it's this year. There are four jobs that I think about. If they were open, could Kiffin become legitimately linked to them? Texas A&M, Texas, Oklahoma, and Florida. I'm not saying he would be. I think it's possible he could be linked to one of those four jobs if they're open. So I think if we ask this question next year, I think probably at least one of those jobs is coming open next season. This season, I'm not sure how many of those jobs are coming open this year. So I would revisit this, especially if Ole Miss has a has a good year. You know, not necessarily maybe get to the Sugar Bowl again like they did with Matt Corral, but say Ole Miss goes nine and three. And one of those four jobs or multiple of those four jobs open next year. I, th I think we could hear Kiffin's name coming back around. Yeah. And I, I think of those too. I don't think Oklahoma will have much patience with Brett Venables. I just, I just don't think that. And I think Steve Sarkeesian needs to win big this year. Yeah. And I have more confidence that Sarkeesian will this year than Oklahoma. I, as you know, I'm, I'm pretty high on, Texas. I think that's a tricky week two game for Alabama. All right, last one, John, then we'll get into the picks 
your man, Spencer Rattler. Nobody's pounding the drum more for Spencer Rattler this offseason than you have. Uh, however, I also know you like Joe Milton at Tennessee. So we'll finish with one that might be tough for you. Did you like that Josh Heupel system that's going on there in Knoxville? You know he can pile up the yards. You like Rattler too. So fact or fiction, Spencer Rattler will throw for more yards this year than Joe Milton. Ooh, that's that's a tough question. I, I saved what I thought might be the toughest yeah, for you uh, in particular I, for last. Gosh. Tennessee has a better supporting cast. Uh, that kind of makes me go toward Milton, but he's never been a full starter for an entire season. Um, Gosh, I'm going to have to go. Yeah, I don't know. I'll pick Rattler on that one. Okay, I, I figured that'd be it. Might stump you, right? Yeah, I, I don't have a clue. I, I think they will both do well this year. I think Tennessee's going to be able to run the ball, and I don't think South Carolina can. And that's why I'm going with Rattler too. You you just hit on it. Yeah. Tennessee's going to have a better run game than what South Carolina will have if South Carolina is uh is going to be eight and five or excuse me eight and four nine and three type of season they're going to need to do it uh, almost exclusively i think on rattler's arm tennessee can count on the run game i also think tennessee wins in some blowouts against some of the inferior opponents that they'll have nico uh, the five-star freshman in there for much of the second half stealing away some of those stats so i will go with rattler as well and that brings us john to our week one picks now, listeners of the pod know we don't pick every game from the SEC every week. The reality is that uh, John and I are not gambling experts, and some of these games are not very uh, interesting to pick against the spread. So we blow past some of the less interesting betting lines on the docket, and we we pick a few games, and we also have our lock of the week, which can come either from inside or outside the SEC. So let's get started. John, you'll pick first. You won last year. We both had abysmal records against the did, spread. Did I we, win? I didn't think there was a winner last year. I thought we just called it off. Uh, you won. We uh, both would have lost money if actually betting. <laughs> we were both finished below 500. You factor in the VIG. Let's go into the bookie. And boy, we might have been kneecapped. Uh, <laughs> I know we would have been broke. That's for sure. Uh, all right, let's get it started with a Thursday night game. John, one one we mentioned earlier, Florida, Utah, Utah, seven point favorite. Billy Napier has a long history as a underdog of keeping games close. Uh, but, and I'm not sure about Cam Rising, Utah's quarterback, how healthy he will be, how proficient he will be. But I look at those two teams, and I just think Utah's a lot better. I think it's gonna. I think it's going to hammer Florida on both sides of the ball in the line. Utah is not a typical Pac-12 team. It plays smash-mouth football, big and strong on defense up front. Remember the last time we saw Florida was against Oregon State's defense, and how Mm. did that go? It was embarrassing for the SEC. So I'll go with Utah and give the points. Yeah, I share your thoughts there. I'm going with Utah. In these early season games, 
John, one of the, I, I look a lot at returning production. Now, I know that can be a fool's errand because of the impact of transfers. And so if I thought, you know, Florida just had a bevy of uh, game-changing type transfers, then maybe this would give me pause. But I don't think Florida has that. And when you look at the returning production stats, uh, Utah ranks toward the top of the country in terms of production returning from last season, whereas Florida even coming off of what was a mediocre debut season for Billy Napier, ranks toward the bottom of the country in returning production. I know Florida won last year in a physical game, but it's at Utah. I like Utah to cover the seven points. Uh, All right, a Saturday noon Eastern time kickoff. It'll be 11 local time in Nashville. Gives you time to party at the Honky Tonks afterwards. Virginia against Tennessee. The Vols know how to blow out meek opponents, and odds makers are aware of that fact. It's a 28-and-a-half-point spread, 28-and-a-half. I'll pick first here. Josh Heupel's teams are really good at blowing out bad opponents. Um, they're, they're almost Alabama-like when you see these just crazy spreads, and you think, how can they cover that? 28 and a half against an ACC opponent. Yeah, a weak ACC opponent, but still, power five foe, 28 and a half. I think they cover it. Uh, I think they win by 30 plus. I'll take the balls, cover the points. I will too, and even though Virginia has that uh, power five uh, (laughs) insignia, uh, I think uh, Texas San Antonio, I think the betting line will be smaller on the Tennessee-Texas San Antonio game uh, later this month than against Virginia. Virginia had no offense last year. I don't see where it's at, really added any this year. Uh, and if you can't score a lot of points, you can't hang with Tennessee. You just can't do it. So I, I really like Tennessee, uh, given 28 and a half. It's a lot of points in a season opener. But uh, you made an Alabama comparison. I don't care what the point spread is with Alabama. Uh, in those openers, it just devours opponents. And I think Tennessee can do the same to Virginia. You and I kind of have an affinity, John, for bad college football. One of my Mm. favorite games to watch last year was Virginia against Miami. Just uh, two lightweights pillow fighting with each other. Final score, Virginia lost 14 to 12. And it was really indicative of Virginia's offense throughout the whole season. You you do have to score a lot of points if you want to hang close with Tennessee that's not Virginia's strength. It's a little bit better on defense than it is on offense, but it's not good enough on defense to to slow Tennessee. I, I think Tennessee wins in a route. Uh, I'm, right, assu- I'm, I'm assuming Virginia had four field goals. <laughs> I, I actually think I, I can't recall. You're testing my memory. Okay. I feel like there might have been like a missed extra point, okay. failed two point or something messing around in there. Maybe it was a field goal deal. Uh, uh, you're up first in this one, John, the, one of the games you're looking forward to most in week one. Uh, South Carolina, North Carolina, Tar Heels, two and a half point favorite. I, I probably don't even need to ask. I know you got a, a Spencer Rattler poster or wallpaper probably all over your house by this point. No, that would be a little creepy. When I look at these two quarterbacks, go back to last season. Spencer Rattler looked like a Heisman Trophy winner in his last three games. Tennessee, Clemson, Notre Dame. Three good teams, and he played lights out against all three, one, two of the three games. Drake May, watching him midseason, man, I thought 
surefire number one pick in the NFL draft whenever he comes out. He was not that effective late in the season. Not sure why, but uh, Spencer Rattler, if that momentum carries over, and I just like, I like his receiver. I like, uh, I, I just like South Carolina a little better in this game. I think Shane Beamer will have those guys really pumped up. Charlotte, that could be. I don't see that as a big advantage for North Carolina, even though it's in the same state. I think there will be a huge contingent of South Carolina fans there. So I will take, I'll take the points in South Carolina. Yeah, you're right about North Carolina. They really cooled at the end of last season. They lost four in a row at the finish there. Schedule got tougher, but they also lost to Georgia Tech amid that stretch. Drake May did not finish the year playing his best ball. Despite all that, though, you've been cooling lately um, on Mississippi State and and uh, warming up to teams like Auburn and Kentucky. I'm cooling a little bit on South Carolina. Um, you, you know, as, as impressive as those wins were against Tennessee and Clemson last year, I look at this group and see a uh, good quarterback, but a lot of questions with South Carolina's supporting cast. Um, so I will lean North Carolina here and uh, say they got to cover the two and a half points. Game I'll be at, John, a final game we'll pick before we get into our locks of the week. Uh, I'll be in Orlando for the Sunday night game. LSU, two-and-a-half-point favorite against Florida State. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this one. I mean, both these teams, I feel like, could be playoff contenders this year. Two of the best quarterbacks in the country. We talk a lot about Jaden Daniels because this is an SEC podcast. Jordan Travis from Florida State, really good as well. He had over 290 yards of offense in Florida State's win over LSU last season. LSU's vulnerabilities is it's secondary. If if there's a couple question marks about LSU, I think it's depth, and I think it's uh, cornerbacks in particular. Mason Smith, potential breakout star defensive lineman for LSU, will be suspended for this game. Am I convincing you to pick Florida State and take those two and a half points? What do you think? No, not at all. Uh, <laughs> LSU almost won that game last year. And LSU was a different team in the second half of the season than it was in the first half. That was Brian Kelly's first game. I think LSU is absolutely loaded. And I think Florida State will be good too. But I think uh, I like uh, Brian Kelly as a coach. I think LSU's depth of talent is really good. Uh, I think it might have the best offensive player in the SEC in Jaden Daniels, best defensive player in Harold Perkins. And it has, as, who's, yeah, started, ahead, yeah, he started as a freshman linebacker. I, I mean, I just, so yeah, I, Orlando, uh, home field advantage for Florida State, maybe, but LSU fans travel. So, yeah, they do. Yeah, I, I'm going with LSU there. And LSU may have the best wide receiver in the conference as well. And Malik yeah. neighbors, you mentioned quarterback yes. and, and linebacker. I agree with you. I think LSU's loaded. I like Florida state a lot too. I think I like LSU a little bit better. Maybe that's just sec blinders. Uh, but despite that case I made for Florida state, uh, I'm going with LSU to cover the two and a half. And that brings us to our lock of the week. 
I'll go first here, John. I think you picked more, uh, pick first more in the SEC game. So I'll, I'll show my hand first on the lock. And uh, I'm sure this is one that you'll be DVRing on Saturday, a real clash of the Titans between uh, Rutgers and Northwestern. Hmm. Northwestern, a tumultuous offseason doesn't even really begin to, <laughs> to explain the, uh, the situation there. At Northwestern, Pat's, Pat Fitzgerald out. Even offseason aside, Northwestern was terrible last year. Uh, they have almost no starters returning off of what was a 3-1 team last year. Rutgers, uh, I believe they won five games. No, they were 4-8 last year. doesn't matter. They bring a lot more guys back. They're a uh, six-and-a-half-point favorite at home. I'm taking Rutgers to win by at least seven. Surely they can beat Northwestern by at least seven. Northwestern might be one, might be the worst Power 5 team in the country this year. So give me Rutgers to cover the six-and-a-half. Yeah, there's it's a very logical pick. However, teams like Rutgers, when you pick a team like that, in my mind, it's like I have certain teams I will never give take and give points. Never. That's fair. I mean, Vanderbilt was a what a 17 point favorite over Hawaii, I think, in the uh, in its opener last week. And somebody was saying, I, uh, Hawaii's horrible. Vanderbilt will probably cover that. And I said, It may, but. I'm not going to go on record as saying I will give points and pick Vanderbilt. Just won't do it. So, so that's an interesting pick. I'm just impressed that you would actually research that game. You may be the only person in the country that looked at both sides of that game and made a real logical decision. So good for you. Not, not only did I research it, John, it's a Sunday game. I'm going to watch it. I'm covering that Sunday night game between LSU and Florida State. This is a, a noon Eastern time kickoff, I believe, on Sunday. So what else do I got to do? I think I'm going to watch it in the hotel room before I head to stadium in, in Orlando to cover the other game. Well, I hope it be will be suspenseful for your pick uh, all the way into the fourth quarter. Uh, there won't be any suspense in my pick. Uh, Southern Cal against Nevada. Nevada, I think, was 2-10 and 10 last year. The Trojans are giving up 39. Watched, uh, I watched Southern Cal beat San Jose, and San Jose was competitive for a while, but San Jose is a, is a far better team in that conference than Nevada is right now. I really like Southern Cal's offensive depth. They put backups in there. There's not a big drop-off. And Lincoln Riley is never one to – I don't think he spends a lot of time thinking – Hmm, I, I hope people won't say I'm running up to score here. No, I don't think that costs. <laughs> no, it never, never comes across. So I'll go. That's a lot of points to give, but Southern Cal's got a game under its belt. Uh, it wants Caleb Williams to win back-to-back Heisman's and it's got two pretty good quarterbacks behind him, I think. So uh, I'll give those 39 and uh, kick back and watch the uh, Trojans put on a show as they can do. All right, there you have it. There's our picks. You can take them to the bank. Enjoy week one of the season. John and I will be with you each and every week throughout the year. If you like what you hear on our podcast, we'd appreciate it if you give us a rating and review. Not only does that bring a smile to our face, it helps us get in front of more listeners. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with you next week.